Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. We have a very cool show for you guys today. If you've ever listened to the start of our show, like right after we've been talking right now, and then you hear that awesome theme song that plays, you will be very happily surprised today, I think, to know that we have the creator of our theme song on for a sort of Fan Friday-esque episode, but we're going to call it Fan Tuesday, I guess, today. But we have Mimar Sinan on. Uh, he goes by at Mimar Sinan Music on Twitter. And Gavin, we get into all kinds of stuff with the creator of the Locked On Knicks theme song. And actually the last two Locked On Knicks theme songs. Yeah, we start off with a little bit of, of Knicks talk. And we, we get his all-time uh, favorite error. How he sort of uh, willingly suffers uh, the Knicks' various failings over the last... 20, 30 years. And then um, maybe even the more interesting part of the conversation, uh, we, we get a lot into his music, what goes into making a great beat and uh, where he draws some of his inspiration. So you can check out all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Thompson cuts left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. It's cut. And he is fouled. Anthony for three. get into it with Mimar Sinan. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, welcome into Locked on Knicks. We got Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here as usual, and we have a very special guest today. You may have just noticed, I mean, of course, we introduced him in the intro, and you probably just heard the revamped Locked on Knicks theme which we've made a little more timeless because we kept having to hit up our poor friend here to replace different parts of it for players getting released and or traded and or whatever else. Uh, so we welcome and coaches fired. God, everything. Right. So we welcome in today Mimar Sinan, who you may know from Twitter at Mimar Sinan Music or uh, his newest project, which was an album called Super Team that he did with a little group that he is part of called the Atlantic Conference Avengers. Mimar, how are you doing? How's life treating you in New York? Uh, oh, yeah, just how's everything? Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you guys uh, cordially for having me on. It's an honor to to bless the same airwaves as you guys and such luminaries as Berman of the Post, <laughs> Macri, uh, of course, Marcita himself. Um, uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, it's obviously crazy in New York City right now. Um, but, you know, it's sort of settling down. I mean, right now, the weird thing is, like, since the numbers are going so crazy everywhere else, it's just, like, kind of waiting for the inevitable. You know, you just feel like it's coming back. Uh, so that that's, like, eerie, I guess. But besides that, you know, kind of getting used to <laughs> being at home a lot. <laughs> yeah, waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? 
yeah. <laughs> as far as this like second wave. I know the yeah. feeling in New Jersey, but at least our states seem to be under control. Yeah, no, for sure. Know. Finally. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to like, so this is sort of like Fan Friday in a way, but it's not a Friday. It's, I think we need to just come up with a new moniker that doesn't involve a day of the week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because we never seem to hit on Fridays. We're just like, oh, let's do Fan Friday. And then we're like, oh, put the message out on Friday and then try. <laughs> there you go. And it just never works out. Um, but I figured we'd start with like, how did you become a Knicks fan? Like, what was like your formative Knicks moment and all that stuff? I feel like that's always a good place to start with these uh, things. Long. Man, I mean, it goes way back. I, I sort of reflexively, like, my, I, I always remember my dad and I watching sports. And uh, he was always a Detroit fan, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. He, he grew up in Ohio, but... I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that worked out. But he liked all like the Tigers and the Pistons, uh, and I sort of reflexively went for the hometown team. And um, I mean, I think my most distinct—I uh, was going to say fondest, but that couldn't be right. My most distinct memory is probably, um, you know, like the the Ewing and Starks era, like the 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 Rockets game six, Starks, uh, all that stuff. Uh, watching that Jordan documentary, obviously, I, I remembered. Being up 2-0 against the Jordan Bulls. Um, but, like, all of it's just sort of, like, memories, because I was, I was fairly young. Certainly wasn't, like, analyzing the game yet. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, I think my, it's weird, but my most distinct memory is watching the Knicks in the playoffs and the O.J. Simpson thing coming on <laughs> and <laughs> interrupting, interrupting the game. So that, I think it was, like, a birthday party. That I, I, it was, like, my birthday. And, uh, but... Anyway, uh, yeah, lots of lots of weird little memories from from my youth, I guess. But I don't know how I started. Probably just because they're the hometown team, honestly. I was there. Was there any any moment, uh, me Marbies? I know I, I haven't had moments where I was like, I don't want to stop rooting for this team. But was there ever like a, like a crisis of faith on, on your part when just like even like. 2000 through 2011 where in some ways it was even worse than it was the last eight years where you just like like i'm done at any point or did you sort of like i think what a lot of knicks fans have where you just sort of like start seeing the funny side of all of it and kind of start embracing like yeah we're, we're maybe we're maybe the worst run franchise in the nba but but all this suffering it's it's kind of i, I think there is there's a certain perverse pleasure in it in that you know with like every single notch like if and when they finally get good, it's going to be that much better. Yeah, I mean, I've always been an underdog guy, honestly. Like, it's funny. As a kid, I used to like baseball a lot, and I was a huge Yankees fan. And that was in the era when they were pretty terrible, right? Like, which is like a weird, random blank spot in their history. Uh, and like, as it dawned on me that they were doing things in a sort of crooked way, and that they were this evil empire. Like, my loyalty didn't allow me to just pick another team, but, like, my understanding of what it meant to be a Yankees fan just, like, took me away from baseball, right? Um, so that, like, didn't happen with the Knicks to the same extent just because they, they were never, like, a bad guy. And I enjoyed – in a weird way, I've always liked that kind of underdog thing. Although with the payoff, of course, being that, like, it would swing around. And, of course, it's been a long <laughs> – it's been a long journey. Um, <laughs> But so, yeah, I don't know. I, I 
started liking soccer <laughs> like like i got got in touch with the turkish side of my roots a little bit and got into some of that just to like displace the uh the, the part that wasn't so good like not having a winner ever in sports uh so like you know you pick up other habits to compensate but i mean mostly i, I just stuck with it you know and yeah i guess i i don't know if i ever found humor in it because you know, it's more just like waiting it out and, and like expecting things to turn around at first and then kind of expecting them. You get kind of cynical and I don't know. I, we're still waiting, really. I, <laughs> I just I now I'm actually in a weird way at my most hopeful point. And I almost feel like I'm making that same error I've made all, and I've sort of trained myself not to make so. I think that's probably where a lot of us Knicks fans are now, is like, how much can we allow ourselves to hope while actually starting to see things tangibly, like a foundation maybe get set in place? So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's definitely, you know, it's a balance. It's a game that we all play, a dance that we all do all the time where we're trying to trying to keep ourselves grounded, I think, while also still allowing ourselves to hope a little bit. Just a quick reminder, today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. I don't know if you've ever been into a chain auto parts store, but I certainly have, and it was not the favorite experience of my life. I am what you might call a YouTube mechanic. I, you know, look up how to do basic repairs on my car on YouTube. There's a very real chance that when I'm done with it, I forget how to do it in an hour because I kind of just follow instructions like a recipe and then it all just kind of goes in one ear out the other. But I enjoy doing it and it's fun. It's something to do with my hands. It's something to, you know, especially right now, it, no better time than the present to get into some new hobbies and try some new things. It's not like you have to drive your car that far anyway right now. So if you screw it up, you know, not that big of a deal, I guess. But when I go to those big box auto stores, uh, or, you know, just the big name stores that actually have a pretty small storefront, you're always greeted by a small selection in store. You're almost guaranteed going to have to order whatever part it is that you need for your car. Then you're stuck waiting potentially for it to come into the store. Maybe you have to make multiple trips in a day, maybe multiple trips in a week to go back to the store and pick your part up. And when all is said and done, you end up getting whatever brand they feel like selling you for the customer price rather than the mechanic price which is considerably cheaper if you're a mechanic and you know you, you might not necessarily have the best experience in store with guys asking you all kinds of probing questions you know trying to pick your brain about something you don't necessarily know off the top of your head and it's it's all just a very unpleasant experience that is where rockauto.com comes in and i could tell you as a as a prospective customer who's got a couple things that I need to repair on my car. The experience of shopping through rockauto.com is super simple. You go to the website, of course, rockauto.com. You're greeted by a page that has every car brand you could possibly imagine. You click on your make a car, you click on the year, you click on the model, and you click on your trim package, and then you're greeted with a huge list of parts that you can get to replace or repair anything that you want. And it's super easy, super convenient, and the prices are uh, as low as you're going to find anywhere on the internet. I challenge you to go on. We'll make this a new thing called the Rock Auto Challenge. Go on to rockauto.com. See if you can find a lower price for any part that they offer anywhere else from any other reputable source. And I bet you can't. So if you want to go to rockauto.com right now, 
and see all the parts available for your car or truck, go ahead and do that and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Get $750 cash towards the lease of our 2024 NX350 all-wheel drive. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease cash offer and pricing details. Restrictions apply. Not all customers will qualify. Offer available in the Lexus Eastern area in April 1st, 2024. We'll stay in the past just a tiny bit longer, though, and then we can start talking about the present and why cool. maybe there is some reason for hope. But, like, what are what would you say is probably your favorite player and, like, favorite moment that you ever had? Because I'm always, I'm always interested to hear people's opinions that did get to experience, like, most of that, that 90s run. Because I was, like, just a little too young for that. Um, but people that got to experience, like, that, that run in the nineties, I feel like I have such fond memories of that. My like first memory really of the Knicks, like despite, or like, I guess I'd probably seen them before then, but my first like time when I really started paying attention was 99 for that finals run. Uh, but what was your sort of standout moment or time, you know, as a Knicks fan? And then what was, who's your favorite player like to this day? Oh boy, that's good. Those are good questions. Um, I mean, I still think, just because of what the Knicks were when I was so young, even though those memories are faded and I was, again, like not in an analytical state or whatever, still that, that, uh, that Ewing, that era when we were sort of consistently, maybe probably the second best team in the league, really like it'll never, um, that'll never like leave the, the kind of back of my mind as far as like where we can get back to at some point. Um, but Oh, man, I mean, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I've really started getting back into the project lately, like in a way that I almost never had. I, I, I think because I hit that age where I was kind of more analytical when the Knicks really hit that rut, you know, now is really when it's starting to, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this, I, I, I don't ever want to be like a prisoner of the now, you know, whatever, but uh, I'm really, I'm kind of into where we are right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the, like, this is an exciting process for me, which is weird. It's almost like, like getting in when the, you know, what, what do they call that in the stocks? When the, uh, you guys probably oh, before know. The buy low, boom. sell high type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Before yeah. the dot com boom or whatever. Uh, yeah, there's another term I'm looking for, but you know what? It's probably better that none of us. You're, you're bullish. Yeah. You're bullish on it. A bull market. Yeah. <laughs> or, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I forget. There's like a fancy term for it, whatever. We'll, not, we'll, throw, it, we'll throw it in the episode description when we when we come up with it. But I, I guess <laughs> the logical follow up on that is is what in particular makes you you optimistic about the current time? Because it's it's weird. I go through I go through periods where I feel really good. Like obviously, whenever Mitch would have an exceptionally good game, or RJ would have a night like he did against the Rockets in in March, where he's just going shot for shot, play for play with James Harden and you have those small flashes and it's, it's hard to be objective and it's hard to separate and say, okay, is this a sign of what the future is going to be for him? Or is this a case where, 
a guy is getting 20 shots every night and once every 20 games, he's going to look like a star because he's shooting so much. And to me, I mean, those star-esque performances from Mitch, Frank, RJ, they're sort of a microcosm for the Knicks as a whole where they have these nights where it all looks good and it all sort of fits. And, and then you sort of zoom out and look at the big picture and say, all right, but they really only have one sure thing in Mitch and, and then everything Beyond that is a question. So I guess what, what what gives you faith that the Knicks are sort of finally on the right track? Well, I mean, and the funny thing is, I don't even know if I'd call it optimism per se. <laughs> like, it, I I think there was there was a period when the when the Warriors were were in that like untouchable phase, and it and I think most of us thought, okay, for the next like maybe five years, nobody else is going to win, and we're all going to kind of percolate and see what happens. And I kind of got it into my head, all right, like, let's, let's, like, see what the floor is and then just build up, you know? And I feel like, in a way, I, we've, there's no one, there, there's no lower, right? <laughs> I don't think the 17, like, already, I think if Mike Miller's season was projected out over 82, he would have almost, like, doubled the 17 wins. I, I, you guys would definitely know that better than I, but, um, so... I feel like we hit that floor and it's only kind of up from here. And it's just, to, I, I'm optimistic about the people who are putting things into place right now, as far as Leon Rose goes, uh, worldwide West, like the reputations they have. It seems like there's a clear understanding that the Knicks need to focus, yeah, need to focus sort of on reputation and uh, building good ties with people around the league. And so, I'm just optimistic about the attitude they're employing in starting from the ground up, basically. And I'm, I have to circle back because I didn't answer uh, about my favorite player. And so, like, in a, in a vacuum, it would probably have been, like, Larry Johnson, honestly. Uh, I was a huge Grandmama fan even before he came to the Knicks. And uh, the four-point play was, like, a huge moment in my life. <laughs> um, but uh, if I'm going to call now the moment that I'm, like, really enjoying the most, then in, in a funny way, I think a guy like Nilakina really embodies the spirit of what I'm enjoying about all, all this. Because he really, like, he could be anything. Like, he could be just this role player who's good at defense and never really finds his footing. Or he could be, like, a transformational guy at his position who, like, unlocks something offensively and, like, knows how to use, like, learns how to, how to use that length that he has. So I, I just feel like, you know, anything could happen with this rotation, with, with, with Mitch Robinson as well. Like, the sky is the limit, and, and it's really a matter of, like, how they're carved out and, uh, you know, developed. So I don't know. Yeah, I really admire, honestly. I admire your optimism a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's I, just, it's, like, intriguing, you know? Like, yeah. No, I feel you. Like, I consider myself to be a pretty optimistic person as far as the team team is concerned and i think you've even managed to beat me with that uh who would you say would you say frank is is the player that you like the most on the current squad like let's put it this way who do you think on the current squad is most likely to make a star turn like i wouldn't say frank i mean frank i would say frank uh, i think it's probably i think it's probably rj or mitch like i feel like those are the ones you can really consider Probably just Mitch, even really, right? Like, <laughs> I yeah. mean, I don't know. I don't want to discredit RJ's season. Like, he showed a lot of grit, and like, I feel like he's shown that the floor won't be 
it, it can't be like that bad. Like he'll he'll be a steady scorer and contributor to some extent, you know. Um, but certainly, I think Mitch Robinson shows flashes. But I mean, I don't like. What's kind of intriguing is that all of these units could be flipped for something that we have no idea. Like you know, like this anything could really happen. Uh, and like all of the guys that were invested in now could be gone by the start of next season in exchange for something else. Like you really, in a weird way, don't have any idea what this new group of guys has in mind. Um, although I, I do hope they stick with development and developing young guys and drafting smartly and all that, but we'll see. Yeah, I definitely, I, I think it's, it's a blank canvas to your point. Like I, I really, I, I genuinely believe that RJ and Mitch are the only sure things to be on the roster in, in any kind of long-term sense. And, and even, even those guys, you don't know because they're not, um, I, I think as, as people who watch them every game, we disproportionately love them. And I, I would make an argument that being completely objective, Mitch is the sort of building block you, you don't trade unless you're getting a, a superstar um, sure. in return. But we, we have no clue how Leon Rose views these guys. And again, if you, you put a slightly different perspective on it, you could say, all right, someone like Mitch is intriguing, but still very foul prone, obviously never going to be a number one or a number two option offensively. Um, and you can talk yourself into saying, hey, let's just get another uh, top 10 pick and trade him. And, and, and RJ, I think it takes even less. I mean, you, you listen to, um, I, I was listening to one of the national pods on the Lockdown Network today. It was John Hollinger and, and Nate Duncan talking about him. And they, they were just saying how largely disappointed they were in RJ's rookie year, acknowledging the circumstances. And again, I, I think if you watched 82 Knicks games, like um, some of us are, are paid a bit of money to do, um, <laughs> and maybe <laughs> otherwise wouldn't if it wasn't their job, uh, you, you kind of you get to a point where you're like, all right, I, I understand why they'd say that. But when you when you have a full understanding of, the scope of the environment he was operating in and the circumstances he was operating under, you, you realize that he really had nothing go his way. And despite his deficiencies, there's something there in terms of his uh, competitiveness and basketball IQ. But but very easily you can flip that and say RJ is someone who's very tradable. And if they drafted someone like Anthony Edwards, maybe they immediately say, you know what, this is sort of our, our wing guy of the future. Let's, let's turn RJ into something else. So it just sort of feels like there's nothing stable about this roster and i wonder if two three years down the line even it looks really really different I and mean, we've seen that before when the Knicks thought they had cores and they thought they had some semblance of a rebuild like we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast but 2010-11 the first part of that year with amari stoudemire that was my second favorite Knicks team of the last 20 years and that core of, of wilson chandler and danilo gallinari and raymond felton though he came back it was sort of all traded away in rapid succession to go get Carmelo Anthony. And it, um, it ended a lot quicker than I thought it would. And I, I could see something similar happening. Yeah. I mean, it's like, for me, it's like starting one of those, like a new video game, like an RPG, you know, and it's like, you have that guy that's like level zero <laughs> or, or, you know, starting at like Sim City or something and like in the, like a blank map you know what i mean like that's kind of what's in, what i like so much about this is and i think in, in part it's like getting used to losing for as long as as we have just kind of coming to peace with it and then starting to sort of formulate what could be done with the blank canvas and with these pieces i don't know like i i agree that i don't think anyone on the team is like an inherent 
you know, like star uh, or, or even potential star. Like I think Mitch Robinson is probably a, a kind of glorified role player to some extent, although he could be very effective in that role. Uh, and RJ, uh, RJ Barrett, excuse me, is, um, I mean, still, we just don't really know what, what, what that'll project out as, but, I mean, with all the picks and everything, it's, I don't know, I, I'm still, I, I'm, I just want to see what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm kind of enjoying, like, the, like, opening a new pack of basketball cards kind of uh, feel to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, do you, have, speaking of, you know, you just mentioned all the draft picks coming up. Do you have anyone that you have your eye on for this coming draft? Are you, like, the little mellow ball guy? Like, are you hoping for the ping pong balls or bust? Or like, is there any? Is there anybody that you've looked up that you've thought looks pretty cool so far? <sighs> I mean, it's that's a tough one, honestly. Like, I'm one of the things that I'm worried about with this draft is like how many guards there are, and I'm not. I don't. I I wish that there was a standout like wing player that could like compliment the roster i really want to see the frank rj thing flourish you obviously are getting my uh my bent there but i mean at the same time obviously i don't know if frank has it in him to be a starter so and you have to get the best player available and you want uh someone who can make an impact so i don't know obviously Lamelo ball would be great i don't know how realistic it is that we can get him do you guys know if there's any possibility for like trading up with some of those later picks in the first round or the early second rounder I mean, I, I don't have anything sourced or anything, but I would say it's certainly if there was any draft where you could potentially talk a team into, you know, giving you a, let's say the Knicks end up at, so let's say somehow they hold fast at six, which is actually somewhat unlikely. And then, you know, they managed to get LaMelo to tank his stock enough to end up at pick three or something. I think there's a, a chance you could maybe package all three picks and move up three picks uh, just because of the depth in this class. But that's just, that's like just my assessment of it. I mean, traditionally, if you want to move up a handful of picks in the, you know, the, in the lottery, you're going to have to give up generally like another lottery pick or something close to it. Right. Um, I mean, if you look for historical precedent, like there was, I mean, the Hawks to move up two picks or sorry, the Mavs to move up two picks to take Doncic with the Hawks gave up an unprotected first the next year. And then the Hawks, the very next year, using those same picks, traded, I think it was pick uh, their own pick eight and then pick... Wasn't it 17 and 35 or something like that? Yeah, it was was something like that. Like, it was like, they were like pick eight and then, yeah, it was like 17 and and 30-something. To move up for DeAndre Hunter uh, from eight to four, so you know it's 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 tricky. I mean, I guess in theory, what the Knicks have could I, I guess be close enough if you know whatever team that's in that potential Lamelo Ball spot a isn't convinced that you know Lamelo is the right pick for them if he like you know does the workout schedule the right way to, you know, try to force himself to the Knicks or whatever. And they're just like, well, we worked this other guy out and like, we feel pretty sure about him and he should be there at pick six. Then maybe they'd be like, fine. It's like found money then. Cause that's the guy we want anyway. Right. Um, but I, I guess we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's always tough to say, 
you know, I, I feel like deal making in the NBA is so fluid. And there's, especially since like the, I think since the whole debacle of the, the Nets and Celtics trade, there's just oh, like, man. it's so hard to figure out what exactly like first round picks are worth and stuff. And I think the teams really, maybe at this point, overvalue draft capital in some Probably, cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you look at just, you look at the Celtics, for example, who were on the winning end of that trade, who for years had an opportunity to trade for an established star player and didn't. And, you know, then finally pulled the trigger um, on Kyrie, but maybe could have done even more than that if they were willing to give up more assets and maybe could have changed their trajectory in some way or another. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I don't see, know. I, this, like, I'm a little weary of building through the draft, you know, and, and you, one of the th- problems I have with the the kind of like uh, stocking draft picks approach is like you you look at the the supposed successors. I mean, I think the Celtics are are a verified one where you could be like, okay, that's a that's a model you could easily. But of course, then you need a coach and a system that can kind of make use of those pieces that you'd be drafting. But then um, I don't know, like like look at Philly, right? Like the the whole tank to to get picks thing, and like I. I don't feel like the foundation is there when you look at Simmons and, and, uh, and Bede and, and their injury history, like that, that it's built on a house of cards that could really fall apart at any moment. And of course, yeah, fine. Don't draft guys who could be potentially injured like that. But I, I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm, I, I think people like sometimes when, when you hear the, the Knicks Twitter kind of going on about how many picks we have, that's great. And I want that to work out. But there's a part of me that wouldn't mind flipping those picks to move up or, you know, for, a, for someone who's established if, if we feel like... I mean, the problem with flipping it for someone who's established is do we have the rest of a rotation that can, like, make use of that yet? So I don't... I mean, I don't know. I, I'm ambivalent, honestly. Like, uh, I, I've been all about the picks. And, and recently, I've sort of had these doubts that I've been talking about just now. I'm just, like, wondering if maybe we're uh overvaluing them or if they're overvalued in general or um you know what what else we might be able to do with them i guess yeah i think the the frustrating part about all this is uh, the longer you're a fan of the nba the more you realize how much randomness is involved and obviously it it helps to be smart it helps to do certain things on the margin it it helps to have better scouts it it helps to be a master of manipulating the cap um it, it helps if you can pull off a great trade but there's no set way to build a team and you and time after time you see it, what what ultimately it comes down to is is just luck like alex just mentioned it dallas after 20 years of success with dirk was was basically stuck in the mud a little bit the last well, i should say maybe 14 years of success with dirk and then, and then six seven years near the end of his career where they really weren't going anywhere and they made some good moves and were generally considered one of the better organizations in the NBA, but they really didn't have anything. And would just sort of scrape into the playoffs because Rick Carlisle was a really good coach. And, and even in his old age, having Dirk was, was pretty powerful. Um, and, and then uh, Luka Doncic, who, I mean, uh, objectively was one of the better prospects to ever enter the NBA draft, certainly the most accomplished prospect to ever enter the NBA draft somehow slips to three and then um, because of a trade Atlanta probably regrets doing um, some gets to five and all of a sudden you have a guy who at 20 years old is an MVP candidate and, and the fact of the matter is I mean the Knicks um, for all their mishaps and some, a lot of them comical <laughs> over the last 20 years 
they, they really haven't had that luck where they've moved up in a lottery or, or someone like a Steph Curry who they missed by one pick who, who could have fallen to them just didn't uh. quite get there. And, and at the end of the day, you just need uh, unless you're you're brilliant, like to win to win a championship, you need one of those things to happen and fall to you. You can just go through the last 20 years of NBA history like the Spurs totally fluked into Tim Duncan with David Robinson getting here. Heard uh, the Warriors fluked into Steph. The Draymond Green somehow falls deep into the second round. Clay Thompson or Giannis, right? Yeah, Giannis. Giannis falls to fourteen. Kevin Durant, because of a one-time cap fluke, is is able to go to yeah. Golden State. LeBron is born in Akron, and then not only that, but Cleveland just happens to win the lottery. Um, um, or Donovan Mitchell, right? Which like yeah. could have been a a coup on our part because he was supposed to like right there on the radar. Imagine we picked him up or whatever. Right, and and that that's the point. I mean, you just. You ultimately, like, luck is better than skill with this stuff, with a couple of exceptions. Like, I, I think an organization like Toronto is pretty brilliant in, in how they've mostly made their own luck. And you see again and again and again how well they've drafted and developed. They traded for Kyle Lowry when he was nothing. They they took a somewhat of a risk, though I think smarter people would tell you it was, it was absolutely the right move in the moment um, to go get Kawhi Leonard, and that worked out for them. Pascal Siakam, they got... Um, so there, there are some organizations that really are just exceptionally smart and do things right. And that, that increases your odds. But the whole point is ultimately like, I don't, I don't think it's about the draft or free agency. It's that the Knicks have to organizationally be sharper. They have to make good moves on, on, on the margin. They have to occasionally luck into guys like Duncan Robinson. And that luck should be in quotes to some degrees. Miami did a ridiculously good job uh, of developing him and a guy like Kendrick Nunn and, and Bam Adebayo. But the point being is it's I think luck just gets a little underrated when we have these conversations. And yeah, well, especially that's what I mean, especially with the draft. Right. Yeah, like that's that's what's so uh, kind of worrisome, I suppose. You know, when you think about having that as the asset that you're leaning on. But I mean, I mean, that's really what sports is all about. It's just odds and numbers and like hoping things work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the point. There are ways to increase your chances, but ultimately you're sort of a victim of it's it just it's it's obvious at this point there, there's not one team that hits on every single draft pick it's it's an incredibly inexact science yeah yeah, yeah the other thing that is kind of weird too is like it's not only that you have to hit probably on at least one draft pick and get yourself like that first star through the draft now it's also just that you have to play the game exactly right to where uh, yeah like, as far as the Knicks are concerned, it's actually kind of a weird spot they're in because you have now six picks probably in the top 40 over these next two drafts where it's – or actually, no, I'm sorry, se- seven picks. I, I think, think it's seven. I, was gonna, yes, I didn't want to correct now. you. Yeah, yeah. it's se- seven picks now in the top 40 of these next two drafts. So you have, you know, you have your own lottery pick this year, and then you have uh, the – Clippers pick this year, and then the Hornets uh, second round pick this year. The next year, you have your own pick, presumably again a lottery pick. You know, unless things really turn around quickly, you have the Mavericks pick, which would probably be you know anywhere from eighteen to twenty five ish, and then you have the Pistons and Hornets second round picks, which are both going to be probably in the top ten in the second round. So you reach this like weird impasse where it's like okay, seven players, that's half a roster. So if you're going <laughs> to if you're going to make right. all those picks, you know, you're going to be selecting half of your total roster almost in, you know, two drafts. 
And so then who do you make room with to accommodate those guys? Or how do you push those assets back a little further? Because I think I think it's going to be really important, at least to me, for the Knicks that they don't act. So A, that they don't just sit on their hands, but B, that they don't act hastily with this stuff. Like, I think that there's a real possibility where you could take some of these things and say, okay, you know, Team X, you want this pick this year. We'll trade you this pick this year, and we want, you know, your first-round pick next year or whatever, and also a second-round pick extra, you know, just to to make it worth our while to give up this pick this year and just sort of delay the whole thing a little bit, almost like how Boston did it, but without getting to the point where you're so stacked up on assets that then, I mean, with Boston, what kind of happened was everybody just kind of stopped biting at a certain point. And they just had to make almost all these picks, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I feel it. I guess you're filling out the back of your roster. Uh, and they took some guys, I think they were stash guys and stuff like that. But, you know, you just got to play it just right to where you don't have an excess to picks when like, cause draft picks even more, especially the later picks more than being a pick that you would use to potentially hope to get like a franchise changer. I think those picks are the picks that really make or break like championship teams where you get a team like the warriors that were so good. And then they hit on so many of their late picks also that allowed them Mm -hmm. to get into the phase where they had to pay Steph clay and Draymond. And then, you know, eventually Durant, but, you know, also have a roster around them that was filled out with guys that, you know, like Kevon Looney was never going to be, you know, an all-star, but he turned into a damn good role player. Um, yeah. And, you know, Jordan Bell was good for a couple of years for them that they, you know, they bought a second round pick for cash, stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, I'm way more into Mitch Robinson and, and Dotson than I am in most of the guys who drafted in the first round on our, on our squad. So, I mean, yeah. for me, I almost, I, I think I overvalue those later picks, uh, whereas I don't like, you know, I... I'm sort of more worried about the first rounders, honestly. And I think once you get so many of those late picks, you almost start to to run the risk of like uh, they they start losing their value, and so people are like, oh, throw in a couple more. Or you have so many, and you know they start to lose their value as bargaining chips. So yeah, you you have to strike that balance. Like at a certain point, you have to kind of uh, I don't want to be lewd. I was going to say sit on the pot or get off or whatever. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean. That's not that loot. There's been yeah, more. I was going to be grosser about it. Yeah, you can, you can go for it. <laughs> no, no, well, whatever. Too late now. I don't want to rehash it. Or <laughs> okay, that's all for today with Mimar. It was a good first episode. We got on, and you know, I, I mentioned to him after we got done recording, I looked at the clock at one point, and I was like, oh, this is just going to be a one-parter. And by the time we were done, we were like, oh, nope, this is a two-parter. So... We're going to cut off for today. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk more about Mimar's music career uh, and, you know, his inspirations and stuff like that. A lot of, you know, a lot of hip hop fans in New York. So I'm sure plenty of you will will be able to appreciate that. Uh, And then also, you know, some future looking stuff with the Knicks, you know, some goals of his for the team next year. And then we actually get into some like looking into the past about LeBron James and the decision and. All the recent reporting that came out said that the Knicks were the favorites. Like, do we think they were? Do we think they weren't? And if we think it's a possibility that one big name free agent might 
look at the Knicks in the future and we kind of debate the feasibility of that. So all that's coming up on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Knicks.